Welcome to the first bonus episode of Making It Awkward. I'm your host, Jessica Wilson. This week's episode is personal. I'll tell some of the story of my body from ages four to 10. We'll get into more of the nuts and bolts of body mass index and history in later episodes. Today, I'm just laying the groundwork for that conversation. In January of 2023, I pulled out my two-inch binder of printed medical records after the American Academy of Pediatrics came out with their guidelines for treating, quote, childhood obesity. I'll share some of it with you today. I recently got asked the question, what it's like having so much of my business out there after somebody read my book. And I'll tell you, it's wildly great. Um, It's out there. People know who I am, where I come from. They know if they're interested in trusting me or not, or what to expect from my work. Um, There's so little trust in medical providers in the first place. And I find that sharing these things can just put people as a bit more ease. It also cuts through probably like the first six months of a lot of the work we do together when they're able to read the book and really understand a lot of the foundational and historical stuff. So here's more of that, the first decade of my life. My mom is white. My dad is black from the South. Um, as you probably know, if you've been listening to this podcast, they were married. They had me. They separated at two, divorced at four. Um, my dad actually continued to live in the house, but also sometimes would live in like the camper trailer in the side of the house, which to me, like was the greatest thing ever. I got to go camping or like feel like camping anytime I wanted to visit my dad. I didn't know that they that this was not a normal situation until I got to be much older. But yeah, that's a lot of how I grew up until like age six or so. I lived the majority of the time with my mom and my dad would come over for dinner um, a few nights a week and my parents remain cordial around each other. They can be together on holidays. Uh, they can both come to my graduation. All in all, they're weird and it's fine. <laughs> Growing up, I remember my pediatrician and all the toys in his office. I was there a lot. I remember many appointments being weighed and measured and then watching my doctor plot the measurements on a growth chart. And I always remember being way at the top, which to me, as a four-year-old, this looked like winning. The top of the group, higher than the others. That just feels like winning. But at the same time, it was confusing because I was told that being at the top was bad. What gets me now is why the fuck I was even given this information in the first place. Why was I watching somebody plot my height, weight, and age on a graph? Why was my doctor talking to me, a kindergartner, about her weight? I met my endocrinologist, Dr. Bard, when I was four years and two months old, per my medical record. She was a nice lady, short brown hair. There are specific details in the record about why I was referred to her, but I'll just say that the doctors were concerned that I was, one, growing too fast, and two, whatever maturing too early actually means. After that first appointment, I saw Dr. Broad again when I was four years and five months old, at four years, nine months old, and then at four years and 11 months old. I remember being poked and prodded and measured in even more ways during those appointments than with my regular doctor. I remember it feeling very awkward to have someone touching my body in vulnerable areas. 
She was on an investigative mission to solve the problem of my body. When I was four years and nine months old, I have a record of me going to get my bones measured via the Radiographic Atlas of Skeletal Development to see if my bones were appropriately sized for my chronological age or if they were growing too fast. Too fast for whom? I don't know. They measured my left wrist and my skull. For my wrist, quote, the bone age is greater than one standard deviation above the mean, which meant I was growing too fast. My skull, however, was an average size. I still have no idea what this means in context. I think now's a good time to say that everything that was, quote, normal then and today is based on children and adults of European descent. Pretty much it's mostly white people whose ancestors immigrated to the U.S. And the data is also ancient. Today's growth charts are from the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey data collected from kids in the 60s. It's self-reported data. Researchers would call homes via the telephone, the phones with cords, attached to a wall or put on a table, and we can imagine which demographic of people were available to take an incredibly long and invasive phone call from a random governmental researcher. I remember seeing a dietitian when I was eight to talk about losing weight. At least, I thought I was eight. Earlier this year, when I found the dietitian's note, it turns out that I was five years and 11 months old. Sue wrote down the list of foods that I typically eat for meals and snacks. My memory of her data collection is fuzzy, but I remember the part about what not to eat. She told me never, ever eat more than two slices of pizza, and I committed that rule into adulthood without second-guessing. Sue's note had some foods underlined because they were concerning, specifically cheese, mayonnaise, lemonade, both the peanut butter and the jelly, the salami, and then the cheese again, but not the crackers I ate with them for lunch, and of course the pizza I had on special occasions. The primary special occasion was when my mom would go out of town and my dad and I would get pizza on the first night and stretch the leftovers as long as we could for the next meals to see how long we could have pizza for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Other than the pizza rule, I don't remember much except I didn't like it. It made me uncomfortable. She was looking across this weird table, staring at me. It wasn't even a cubicle. It was like a row of kind of like lab draw desks where you go in, there's like a false divider between you and the next person. She was at one looking at me next to me with somebody else. And we were there to be told what to do differently. We were told what we were doing wrong. Sue's note says that I was a picky eater. I wasn't. And that she recommended a low fat and low calorie diet, as well as a regular exercise program super helpful. And then all of this is what is recommended by the American Academy of Pediatrics now. Having a care team that makes kids freak out about their bodies and stress about their weight, along with intensive health behavior and lifestyle treatment, or IHBLT. <laughs> Yikes. The guidelines say that this IHBLT is the foundational approach to achieve body mass reduction or the attenuation of excessive weight gain in children. Um, body mass in general, or are you 
talking about weight, it's not clear. This, quote, involves visits of sufficient frequency and intensity to facilitate sustained, healthier eating and physical activity habits. IHBLT typically involves engagement with and participation of families in discussions of necessary treatment based on the severity of disease. It also involves interaction with pediatricians and other primary healthcare providers who are trained in lifestyle-related fields and require significantly more time and resources than are typically allocated to routine well-child care, which is exactly what I had. Severity of disease here is unclear. I was growing too fast. I was maturing too early. Is that the disease? Was my body size the disease? Was my percentile on the growth chart the disease? Or is it something else? For me, and in these guidelines, it refers to weight. So it seems like we're just pathologizing kids. And if we're going to be focused on achieving body mass reduction, does that mean we're okay with kids losing muscle mass? I don't know. Actually, I do know. The answer is yes, because it's the number on the scale that matters. Per the guidelines, the most consistently effective IHBLT programs deliver 26 or more hours of face-to-face family-based counseling on nutrition and physical activity over at least a three to 12-month period for children aged six years and older with, quote, overweight and obesity, which is just the number on the scale, with more limited evidence for children two to five years of age, 26 hours in a 12-month period of a clinical care team whose sole focus was to shrink you when you should be growing as a kid, mentally, spiritually, socially. The goal is to make kids smaller, to make them hyper-focus on their bodies and their weight, and of course, put them at risk for disordered eating and eating disorders. I kept growing because that's what kids do. That's what kids are supposed to do. We want kids to keep growing. If their growth is stalled or stunted, that's not a good thing. I guess, unless we're chubby. When I was in the fourth grade, I remember that we were learning about mathematic averages in classes. My teacher decided to ask each of us what our weight was and divide that by the 30 kids in the class to get the average weight of the students. I remember that day so clearly. I was sitting in the front row of students. One of the girls who would make fun of me for my size, I'll call her Teresa, was sitting a few seats ahead, and when she was asked about her weight, she said it was 100 pounds. I'd just been to the doctor, of course, and I knew my weight, and it was definitely more than 100 pounds. I panicked. When the teacher got to me, I said I didn't know how much I weighed, and then listened to everyone in the class announce their weight. No one weighed more than me. A few others in the class said they didn't know their weights, and so the teacher made one up for them. When he made mine up, He said 100 pounds, and I was relieved. I knew he was lowballing the number to not embarrass me. Teresa, however, was not having it. Her head spun around, and she gasped in despair. There was no way I could weigh as little as her ballerina body. I remember being sad the rest of the day, going home and dwelling on it some more. My dad came over to the house for dinner at some point and asked me what was wrong. I told him that I was sad about how much I weighed. 
He asked me how much. I told him. And he responded casually, that seems like a normal weight for a 10-year-old. And he meant it. This was the 90s, and there wasn't a discussion of parents saying positive things to make their kids feel proud about their bodies. And my dad also just doesn't know how to lie. He wasn't being performative. He meant it. He had no idea what was normal for kids. I think he just thought I was a regular kid, and that's all that mattered. And that's all I needed that day, and maybe that year, and maybe for a really long time. My dad didn't think my body was a problem, and having just one adult who I trusted think that I was fine just the way I was meant a lot. Having one person who didn't feel the need to fix me mattered. And as you can tell, really imprinted on my brain. After age 10, some things changed. What didn't change was how I viewed my body and others as projects. When I was applying to colleges at 17, I decided to become a dietitian. I did so from a place of cognitive dissonance. I wanted to support people as they solved the problems that were their bodies. I also didn't want them to feel bad about their bodies as I did when they were trying to fix them. I graduated with my degree in clinical nutrition in 2005. The BMI growth charts for kids didn't appear until 2000. We didn't even talk about them. In my clinical training, we were just starting to use body mass index for the individual. The BMI charts were starting to appear beside the scale in doctor's offices. And at the time, we were told that BMI was never, ever to be used to measure children. And we should never, ever call the child generally and to them individually obese due to the shame and stigma that pathologizing children causes and changes the way that we interact with our patients. Fast forward a few years and news and TV shows cover childhood obesity loudly. Supersize Me becomes curriculum. The Biggest Loser normalizes yelling at and dehumanizing fat people. Kids have their BMI calculated in school, publicly. This morning, I went back and plotted my BMI on childhood growth charts, and let me tell you, I was winning in the BMI category. Far and beyond the 100th percentile. I was actually getting extra credit, and also remembering how much of a problem that was for my mom and my doctors. I know they cared about me. I know they thought they were trying to help me. I know they thought they were doing the right thing. But what I remember was that my body was wrong. They treated me like I was a problem and a project. There was always something about me that needed fixing. There's another three decades to this story, but I'll end this bonus episode here and come back for additional installments on mine and others' body stories. As always, thanks to everyone out there for listening. This project has been one of the best things I've initiated in my 41st year. And today, as this episode debuts, I turn 42 and look forward to the next year. In the meantime, make it awkward. I've been your host, Jessica Wilson. This bonus episode is a project of the body politic and is edited and mixed by Jen Jacobs. 